relationship. Last week we talked about marriage and the gospel, how that in Christian marriage uh, that, uh, that it's designed to be both a reflection of the gospel and designed to be empowered uh, by the gospel. And so we're really going to build off that. And really today in one sense is for the, the men, it's for the husbands, because we're going to look at the specific command in this text for uh, how men are to treat their wives. But, so uh, let me just say, though, up front, because, you know, the, the command is that a husband's to love his wife like Christ loved the church and, and gave himself uh, for her. But that doesn't mean that uh, men or, or that women aren't to love their husbands. Just like, uh, you know, the specific command to ladies here, is, there's two, to submit to your husband. There's also a command of mutual submission. There's also a command to respect your wives. It doesn't mean men aren't supposed to re- respect their wives. Um, you know, there's several just general commands to love in Ephesians. There's the command that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And I think there's a sense in which we could look at our spouse as our first neighbor. That's probably a healthy way to, to look at that. Um, there's also Titus 2.4, where uh, the older women are commanded to admonish the, the younger women to love their husbands and love their children. So, ladies, you're not off the hook here. Uh, it's it just, he's, we're going to look at specifically what he says to men. Uh, so, I want to start with a question for the men. Now, I tried to warn the men in the first service. Uh, one man, at least, did not listen to me. So, whatever repercussions there are, are on him. I tried. And so, the same thing would be true for you. So, here's uh, the request, at least, guys. Don't say anything. Okay, I just want you to think about the question. Don't say anything, all right? I would actually even advise, if you're sitting with your wife, to not react non-verbally either. (laughs) No head nodding, no muscle twitches, (laughs) nothing, okay? So, you're warned. If, If you're not listening, you get what you deserve, okay? So, uh, you ready? Ready for the question? Okay, guys, if you're married, does it ever feel like that uh, when you're trying to you know, love your wife, serve your wife, be a good husband to her, meet her needs, does it ever feel like that you're trying to hit a moving target? could happen, you know, it could be that you did something three hours ago that you're like the husband of the year, and, and it could be three hours later, what in the world are you doing? Why would you say that to me? Uh, you know, it could be at some point you're flirting and you try something and you're like, you're hot. And then two days later you try the same thing and you're like a pervert or something. I mean, <laughs> it, it just... Uh, you know, it just, it can happen. I mean, I've heard at least, uh, maybe it can happen. And uh, in fact, you know, Lori Arwood, I'm going to quote a female here. You know, our counselor said, sometimes it's like women expect uh, their husbands to know what they need, but they don't know what they need. So um, now this doesn't mean, though, that we're off the hook because there's a command in another part of Scripture in First Peter 3 where husbands are told to dwell with their wives with understanding. And so, men, if we're serious about this, we're serious about being godly husbands, 
we should probably be students of our wives. We should pray for God to give us wisdom and insight into our wives. We might ought to spend a little more time studying our wives than we do, you know, the box score or our favorite vehicle or favorite video game, uh, cheat code or whatever it may be. You, you can react now. It's, it's, it's okay now. They're gonna, you're going to be afraid for the rest of the sermon. That might be wise, actually. Um, so... Uh, here's what I'm going to say, okay? If, if, if you would agree that that can be a moving target sometimes, I want to give you a fixed target to aim at, okay? Because here's the thing. You know, God is unchanging. His commands are unchanging. And so I would say if we would aim at uh, God and obedience to his commands when it comes to marriage, that ought to generally take care of uh, treating our wives in the way that they need to be treated. And so here's the command, here's the, the big idea here of this text, and then we'll read it, and we're going to read the whole thing because it's just kind of interwoven throughout. The main idea that we're going to look at today is that in Christian marriage, husbands are to love their wives like Jesus. That's all. Just little bitty command, you know. Husbands are to love their wives like Jesus. Now, you may say, that's impossible. Amen. Doesn't mean, though, that we're to lower the bar of God's standards down to meet our bar. Doesn't mean that we're not to strive uh, for it. And, and we'll get to that at the end. But let's, let's just read the text and see what God uh, says to us today. You know, that's the main thing. My job is just to try to uh, explain it, help us to understand it and apply it. But let's just look at what God actually says to us again. I'm hoping by, if we read this enough, it's going to sink in more and more with us. But he says, wives, uh, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, uh, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the, uh, the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And we're going to get to this part of, of this text. Uh, and then here's the, the command for today. Husbands, love your wives. Just as, in the same way, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, and then, what does this look like? And, and remember what we talked about last week. There's this kind of dual thing that's going on through here of how Jesus is loving the church, but this is a picture of uh, what marriage is supposed to look like. And remember in this passage, uh, the Jesus or, or the husband represents Jesus' relationship to the church. The wife is representing uh, the church's relationship to Jesus. And marriage is designed to be a reflection of the gospel. It's designed to be empowered by the gospel. And so he says, love your wives uh, just as he also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man, ought to leave, or a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And then 
I guess we need to hear it again, guys, because, you know, God's repeating himself here. Uh, Maybe we're a little slow sometimes. He says, nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So he's saying, ultimately, we're to love our wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. But he's also saying here, and, and the way it's worded in Greek is, is, is a general principle. There may be an occasional exception to it. But generally, we love our own bodies. And so, like we love our own bodies, we're to show the same kind of care and love for our wives. And we love our own bodies, right? There's certain things we want to eat. There's certain uh, you know, conveniences, creature comforts that we want to have. We like to be uh, pampered and so on and so forth. I mean, we love ourselves. I mean, anybody that's ever been around a guy with a man flu knows that uh, he loves himself, right? We want to feel good and, you know, and, and so he's giving that analogy as well. So, but the main idea is that in Christian marriage, husbands are to love their wives like Jesus. Now, trying to kind of unpack and help us to understand and apply this command I, wanna, I want us to look at it this morning from four different angles, okay? First of all, I want us to think about the reason for the command. I mean, why would God specifically zero in on, in, in what's the longest passage on marriage in the New Testament on a husband loving his wife? Now, I've, you know, heard explanations before, like, you know, like the man is, is told to uh, love and the wife's told to, to, to respect because, you know, that's meeting the biggest need of a, of a man and a woman. And there's probably some truth uh, to that. Or, you know, maybe women are more naturally loving and, you know, men really, really crave respect. And, and, and that's why. And there's probably something to that as well. But I think if you're actually really following the flow of the text itself, that's not really the reason. The reason relates to what we were talking about last week and, you know, an understanding that the, the man is representing Jesus and the, the woman, the wife, is, is representing the church. And if we understand that Christian marriage, like we talked about last week, is to be a reflection of the gospel, what this means is, is that what God is telling us to do here, men, uh, it, that our primary role in marriage is that we are to model, we are to be a reflection of, we are to be a conduit of the love of Jesus Christ into the life and the experience of our wife. That's what it's about. That's why he's commanding us <clears throat> to do this. And thereby, though, we are to model the love of Jesus Christ to a watching world. And one of the things we need to understand, uh, biblically, Marriage is not eternal. The love of Jesus is. Marriage is temporary. There's no marriage in heaven. Scripture is very clear about that. And so we are now, uh, through marriage, which is a temporary reality, modeling the eternal reality of the love of Jesus Christ. That, that's, that's the point of it. That's the reason for it. I mean, I mean think about what we've already looked at in, in the book of Ephesians. And remember what we talked about. 
everything that's in chapters 4 through 6 is in some way, shape, or form an application of the doctrinal truths that were laid out in chapters 1 through 3. Remember, we, we live out what Jesus expects of us by living out of what Jesus has done for us. And so think about what we learned about the gospel in chapters 1 through 3. Jesus chose us. He set his affection on us. He pursues us. He gave himself for us. He made us his own. And then because of this covenant love, he is always faithful and gracious toward us. What does that mean then that the role of a man is in a marriage, even leading up to marriage? It's that in a sense you choose a woman. Obviously she has to agree to it. Set your affection on her. Pursue her. Lay down your life for her. And then in marriage you make her your own. And then you are always faithful and gracious towards her in living out this covenant that you've made together. That's the idea of Christian marriage. It's to model, to reflect, to uh, be a conduit of the love of Jesus Christ to a woman. And then through that, to picture that, to represent that, to be a witness of the gospel of that love to the world uh, around us. Listen, we all need love. I think women in particular need to be loved. I mean, think about how many um, young ladies that are growing up right now that have grown up without a father. That have grown up with a bad succession of fathers. Have been mistreated and abused by men. I mean, it's no wonder that there's backlash against men in our society. It's no wonder that feminism is on the rise. I mean, how many women have ever had a godly, loving, caring, consistent man in their lives? I mean, if you've only seen the bad thing, I mean, kind of what do you expect? But in a sense, then, we're to be the antidote to that as Christian husbands and fathers, you know, when Jay, our oldest, was a little kid, he'd try to explain something to, it, to him, and he'd say, example it to me. We're to, we're to example the love of Jesus Christ to our wives and to the people around us. That's what we're called to do, men. That's what this is saying. And, and you want to know how powerful uh, this can be? From 1991 to 2007, Fuller Theological Seminary School of Intercultural Studies conducted a survey among 750 Muslims who had converted to Christianity. And, and these 750 people represented 50 different ethnic groups from 30 different countries. And when they released uh, the, the results of, of, of this survey, they, they listed the top nine reasons that these 750 Muslims gave for converting to Christianity. I'm just going to give you the top two. Number one was they saw Christians who practiced what they preached. And then these really go together. Number two... They saw Christians who appeared to have loving marriages where women were treated as equals. Top two reasons why these Muslims converted to Christianity. And of course, you understand that in many contexts, the Muslim uh, you know, converting to Christianity is facing persecution. So this is what marriage is 
designed to be. It's a, it's a man's role in marriage. But let me talk to singles for a second. If you're not married yet, you're dating, engaged, and you want to be someday, uh, let, me, let, me, let me give you some things to think about here. First of all, for the guys, I would encourage you to not get married or not even date seriously until you have a commitment that this is what God is calling me to do, that this is the point, this is the purpose of marriage, that this is who he expects me to be. Ladies, I would say that this is what you should be looking for. Now understand, you're looking for trajectory here. Sometimes, you know, I, I hear teenage girls or even young adult ladies, like they'll give their list of what they're looking for in a husband. And I'm thinking that like your pool of marriage candidates is Jesus. <laughs> like there's no guy in the world that is going to live up to this. Or maybe that's the extreme, or sometimes what, what, I, what I'm thinking is like, like you're looking for the 53-year-old version of a guy in a 23-year-old body, right? You're looking for the future mature version of some guy without the dad bod. Uh, I mean, that, that's, that's really what you're looking for. And uh, the reality is you can't really have it both ways, usually. I mean... There might be some guy that really stays in shape till he's 65, but uh, you usually can't have it both ways. I'm saying looking for a trajectory. Well, like, wait, what are the things you, some of the kind of things you look for then? Well, how's he treating you? Is he, how's he loving you now? Because remember, he's kind of putting on a show right now. And at some point, you're going to start getting the real version and might not even be as good as the show. So the show better be really good if you can expect this. Um, do you have to make excuses for him? Do you have to like explain things away? Are you justifying things? I'd say if you're doing that, it's probably a relationship that you need to run from. How does he treat the other women in his life? How does he treat his female friends, co-workers? How does he treat his mom? How does he with uh, little old ladies? I mean, how does he do with grandma? Those kind of things. That will probably tell you more about what he's really like than the show that he's putting on for you will tell you right now. So, Listen to some old man wisdom. I'm just telling you, it might save somebody some trouble somewhere along the way. There's some ladies here that would agree with me about that. Okay. Um, so to be a model, to be a reflection of, to be Christ-loving, that, that, that's the reason. That's what this is about. But second, I want us to get real practical and look at the characteristics of this kind of love. You say, okay, I want to love my life this I want to love my wife this way. What's that going to look like if I do this? Okay? And, and so I, I think in this text, there's at least five characteristics of Christ-like love flowing through us. So uh, th this is what we're going to do. I'm going to name the characteristic. Uh, I'm going to give it just a quick description of it. And then I'm going to give an application question for each one of the characteristics. And men, this is what I would ask you to do this, this week. I would ask you as you spend time with God, as you pray, uh, which I hope you do, you're not going to live this out without doing that as a foundation, that you would prayerfully kind of wrestle with these questions. That you would, you know, prayerfully kind of ask the Lord these questions even, like, you know, what do I need to do with this? There's one question that I'm going to ask you to start asking your wife on a daily basis, okay? And so, so we'll get to that. But so what, what are these characteristics of this kind of love? First of all, it's an unconditional love. Um, 
And when he gives the command there in verse 25, the word love, there's some different Greek words that are translated love. This is God's love. This is agape love. It's, it's, it's an unconditional love. Clinton Arnold explains it this way. L- listen to this. He says, the present imperative of the verb love indicates that this kind of love should be the regular and hallmark feature of the husband's affections and behavior toward his wife. It makes no provision for the wife to earn the husband's favor. Now think about that. If we had to earn God's favor, God's grace, God's love, we would be hopeless. So if this is Jesus' love, it has to be the same kind of love. That's hard, though. It says, the command entails the husband's responsibility, listen, regardless of his wife's behavior, health condition, appearance, or any other potential deterrent. The fact that Christ loved the church, even in her most unlovely and unbecoming state, defines the love commitment that Christ expects from a Christian husband. His love should be unconditional. You say, what if I can't stand her at this moment? And for those of you who are appalled at me saying something like that, you just haven't been married long enough yet. Um... You know, the, the Matthew 5.44, Jesus says to love your enemies, to pray for them, to bless them, to do good to them. So even if we can't love them with a friend love at a given moment, we can love them in it, at, at, with an enemy kind of love. And to be honest, I, my guess is for some of you, if you just did that, that would improve your marriages greatly. So we're not really off the hook here. Okay, so... Here's the application question. Don't, don't put it up till I say it, Ryan. But, but here's the application question. This one doesn't actually come from me. It, it, it comes from uh, my friend Justin Self. I heard him say this when we were teaching a conference together in Honduras. It, it's, it's an awesome question, but it's a, it's a horrible question. This is one of these questions. It, this just messed me up, I'm telling you. Uh, it was so convicting to me uh, when I heard him ask this question, but I, I think hearing it and thinking about it and, and, and trying to do something with it in my life has made me a better husband. Uh, I think it can do the same for you, but uh, it's, it's not a fun question because, it, I mean, it, it's, it's just a hard question. So here's the question. How can I love my wife unconditionally if she meets all my conditions? How can I love my wife unconditionally if she meets all my conditions? Now, that's profound in its simplicity, isn't it? You can't love somebody unconditionally if they're meeting all your conditions because there's no need for unconditional love then. And and I think what this exposed for me is that some of my love really is conditional. You know, you do this, I'll do that. I want this, so I'm going to do that. Or, you know, we can love under certain conditions, but it's unconditional. When she doesn't have anything to offer, when things are hard, when that's the kind of love he's talking about. So the second characteristic of this love is it's a sacrificial love. Remember it says Jesus gave himself for the church. He laid his life down. He, He sacrificed himself for her. And I think for us men, maybe kind of what we have to wrestle with is I, I'm, I bet every man in this room would take a bullet for his wife if it came down to it. But we make the little daily sacrifices that it takes. Uh, Clinton Arnold again says of this, um, 
this phrase, this concept that the extent of Christ's love for the church is expressed in his action of giving his life for the church. Paul uses the same expression earlier in the chapter when he speaks of how Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, which is also how he explained the heart of the gospel to the Galatians. This does not mean it will be necessary for every husband to die for his wife, but it most assuredly means that every husband must deny himself of time, resources, and self-gratification to express his love for his wife. I don't think you can say it much better than that. So here's the application question. Like I said, I encourage us to wrestle with this, pray about this, be honest about it. Where am I being selfish instead of sacrificing for my wife? Where am I being selfish instead of sacrificing for my wife? And let me just ask you a simple question. If we just got alone with God and prayerfully asked, where am I loving my wife conditionally instead of unconditionally? Where do I need to sacrifice? Where do I need to stop being selfish? And we would just listen to the Lord and repent and try to change the way we're doing some things with our lives. Wouldn't our marriages get better real quick? I mean, it, just, it would just happen. Okay, third, third characteristic is it's a sanctifying love. Remember what he's talking about here, a glorious church without spot and blemish and, and, and all these kind of things? Jesus' love, it, he, he's working in us, he's working with us to sanctify us, to make us more and more Christ-like. The way it would apply to us is there's a spiritual component to our love. And, and in Christian men, in Christian marriage, if we are loving our wives the right way, it is going to make it easier for them to become more like Jesus instead of harder for them to become more like Jesus. Now, listen, that, we're each responsible and accountable to God for our, our own relationship with Him and for our own walk with Him. You can't have a relationship or a walk with God for your spouse. But we can help with that or we can hinder that. And so the application question is, how am I helping my wife grow closer to Jesus? And notice, I'm not asking the question, yes, no. Am I helping my wife grow closer to Jesus? I'm asking a more specific, open-ended question. How am I helping my wife grow closer to Jesus? So if I ask her that question, or you ask my wife that question, would they have some specific things they could say? Is the way we're loving our wives contributing to their sanctification or is it hindering their sanctification? Here's the fourth characteristic. It's a permanent love. I'm sorry, that's number five. Got ahead of myself. It's a caring love. And, and this comes from verses 28 and 29 where he talks about uh, nourishing and cherishing your wife, you know, just as you do your own body. It means we're to value them, we're to take care of them, uh, we're to build them up. Uh, and so here's the question I would ask here. What does my wife need from me? And what can I do to meet her needs? What does my wife need from me in this moment, in this season, in this day, in this week? And what can I do to meet those needs? It may be something tangible you can do. It may be just listening to her. It may be praying with her. There could be a whole host of things uh, that, that come up there. But what does my wife 
need from me? And so this is the question, though. I want to take this one a step farther. And this is the question I would encourage you to ask your wife. I would encourage you to make a commitment that at least once a day for the next week, and it may be advisable if you do it more than once a day, but just ask this question then. Just try it. See what happens. Honey, what do you need from me today? Or what do you need from me right now? What do you need from me this morning? What do you need from me this evening? Ladies, if your man does this, please don't shoot him down because he's going to be mad at me then. Um, don't, don't shoot him down. Can, can I ask you to do this? Can I ask you to answer him honestly and directly? Now, I know you're good at subtle, right? And I know this is part of the game. I know we get lots of bonus points when we figure the clues out and figure something out without being told, right? But I'm just telling you, men don't do subtle real well usually. I mean, we're just... just Spell it out. So here's, here's what I would encourage you to do. If he does this, tell him. If he does it, or even makes a good effort to do it, thank him, encourage him, show him some appreciation, and I bet if both of you would do this every day for a week, your marriage will look better next Sunday than it does today. Just try it and see. Marriage is hard but it's not rocket science. Sometimes it can just be little things like this. Then the fifth characteristic is it's designed to be a permanent love. It's a covenant love. You leave and you join. It's like Christ in the church uh, becoming one, entering into a union with one another. So what this means is, is that despite what our culture uh, would say, despite every Hallmark movie, love is not a feeling, love is an action. That's a biblically true statement. Feelings are the byproduct, and it's awesome when you have the feelings, but without the right actions, it's going to be hard to have the feelings for very long. It's a permanent love. And so the question here would be is, am I committed to being faithful to my covenant vows, whatever? And so if you're not, I mean, if this question, if you've got to wrestle with this question, I would encourage you not to do it by yourself. I'd encourage you to get with a counselor or get with a pastor and settle this first and foremost. So these are some characteristics of this kind of love. And, and I would in, in, encourage you, like I said, to wrestle with these application questions. I'd encourage you to be brave and ask your wife that question and, uh, and, and see what happens. And um, you can share your testimonies with me if you want to. Uh, so the third angle I want us to see this just, from just quickly is the example for living out the command. And it, it, it's, it's very simple. It's just it's Jesus himself. Verse 25 tells husbands to love their wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, th there's a couple of ways we need to look at this, though, because, you know, there's some obvious pushback of I'm not Jesus. I can't really uh, do this. And I'm not going to argue with you uh, about that at all. I mean, I, I would say that right now in my life with uh, just our situation, Robin's health situation, that kind of thing, as I'm just honoring God, 
My number one priority and goal is to love her well. But you know what has happened over the last few weeks, even in, in the midst of doing that, is a lot of times just a reminder of how far short that I fall, of how inadequate I am in really doing that. Now, when we see our own inadequacy, there's really one of two things that we can do. A lot of times what people try to do is they try to lower God's standard. They try to set the bar low at their own level, right? Uh, we, we do that uh, all the time with all kinds of different things. You know, we, it's like we want to be at the school where they give blue ribbons to everybody that participates in, in, in field day. That's kind of what we want the level to be like a, a, a lot of times. Um, I, I mean, people do this. I mean, oh, I can't do this, or I'm not that bad, or I'm a pretty good guy, I work hard, all these kind of things. I mean, maybe the most extreme example I've ever seen of this, I've literally, in doing evangelism, had guys tell me, yes, well, why, why do you believe you're going to heaven? Well, I'm going to heaven because I've never hit my wife. That's about as low as you can set the bar, right? <laughs> I, I mean, some things just ought to be a given, unless you're just a completely evil person, right? So we, we can try to lower the bar, Another thing that we can do is we can try to raise ourselves up to the bar. And, and there is a place for effort here. Or probably the better option, the gospel option. I mean, yes, there's effort and, we, and you know, we need to tr be trying to live this out and all these kind of things. But, but the better option is for me to admit my ina inadequacy and to understand that every command of God is ultimately designed to show me that I'm a sinner in need of grace and it's designed to drive me to Jesus and dependence upon him every day, knowing that I can't do it. It's designed to push me to repent of sin and you know, seek the power of the Holy Spirit and seek the grace of God, which leads me to the last thing that I want to say, which is that the empowering for living out this command is the gospel. Only Jesus can enable us to get anywhere in the neighborhood of actually being able to live this out. It's like we talked about last week, you know, when we put a picture of fire hydrant on, on the screen, and it, just to remind us that we are connected to the reservoir of the love of Christ if we are saved because of the Spirit of God who lives within us. And if we're going to love our wives with a Christ-like love, it is going to be the love of Christ flowing through us because we're connected to Jesus like a branch and the vine, like being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is why we started where we did with the first message in this series. We can't do it. He can do it through us as we surrender and trust him and obey him and allow him to empower us. Remember, Christian marriage is a reflection of the gospel but it's empowered by the gospel. And so the point of this is not to drive us to self-effort, even though I want to be really practical, and I've suggested some really practical things you can do that will help, but ultimately it has to bring us back to Jesus living through us. Let me illustrate this for us to close. There's a man, he, he, he's dead now, named Dr. Robertson McQuilkin. For a long time, he was the, the president of Columbia Bible College and seminary that I think is now Columbia International University. And he and his wife, Muriel, I mean, through that and through some other things, just had a tremendous ministry together. But then um, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's at a, uh, for Alzheimer's, a, a very young age, in her 50s, I believe, and you know, for a while, he was able to kind of, you know, look after her and be the president of this school at the same time. But as uh, she went downhill, as her condition worsened, there came a time where he basically had to make a choice. He either had to 
you know, give up the presidency of this thriving university, retire and focus on her, or institutionalize her and continue his ministry, which, uh, you know, from what he shared about, he's written some books about this experience. Um, he uh, had said, you know, a lot of his closest friends, that's what they advised him uh, to do. But, but he said uh, when, you know, it came down to it and he had to make a decision about it that, you know, it looked like he was torn between two loves, but in, in reality, uh, there was no decision. He said, quote, when the time came, the decision was firm. It was no great calculation, nor was it terribly difficult. He knew what he had to do, and he did it. It was a matter of integrity. Uh, he says, had I not promised 42 years before, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. And he spent the next 25 years, or maybe 25 years total, in, in looking after her and, and taking care of her. And one of the things he said about this is that people who do not know me well have said, well, you always said God first, family second, ministry third. But he said, I never said that. And he said something that I think is very profound. He said, to put God first means that all other responsibilities are first too. Did you hear that? To put God first means that all other responsibilities are first too. We're called to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Part of that is loving our wife as Christ loved the church. God's commandments aren't in competition with one another. We can't say we're loving God if we're not uh, loving our uh, wife. And, um, you know, he, he said, This was no grim duty to which I stoically re resigned. It was only fair. She had, after all, cared for me for almost four decades with marvelous devotion. Now it was my turn. And such a partner she was. If I took care of her for 40 years, I would never be out of her debt. He said, I don't have to care for her. I get to. Now, and, and I don't want you to misunderstand something. I'm not saying that the decision he made is the only right decision there. Maybe some people, you know, couldn't have financially have quit their job or those kind of things. I'm just talking about the heart behind it. And, and here's another example of that. He wrote this. He talked about how, you know, traveling with her was incredibly challenging. Uh, you know, like in flying, he talks about an example of, uh, you know, flying in, 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 in an airport in, I think it was in Atlanta, uh, being, you know, uh, waiting on a flight for a couple of hours. And, um, and so, you know, he talked about when they were flying, like she, he couldn't let her go in, into the little, you know, bathroom on a plane by herself because she couldn't have ever opened the door if she was able to get it closed and these kind of things. And then, and, you know, he talked about a flight being delayed in Atlanta, having to wait a couple of hours. He says, now that's a challenge. Every few minutes, the same questions and the same answers about what we're doing here and when we're going home. And every few minutes, we'd take a fast-paced walk down the terminal in earnest search of what? Muriel had always been a speed walker. I had to jog to keep up with her. And then, you know, they did this, and they get back, and he says an attractive female executive type was sitting across from us working diligently on her computer. And one time when they came back from one of these excursions, uh, she said something without looking up uh, from her computer. And since no one was close by, he said, I assume she had spoken to me or at least mumbled in protest of our constant activity. So he said, pardon? Oh, she said, I was just asking myself, will I ever find a man to love me like that. And someone has commented on what he said there, and he said this. Mirrored in McQuilkin's relationship with his wife was the covenant-making, covenant-keeping love of God. You know what McQu McQuilkin could turn and say to that woman? Oh, yes, you can find a man like that. 
You can find a man like that because I've found a man like that. The only reason I love my wife the way you see me loving her is because the man, Jesus Christ, loved me first. The only resources I have to draw upon to love my wife the way I do are the resources he gives me. Mirrored in my relationship here with my wife, you can see the faithful love of God for me. But if there's no mirror of faithfulness for the world to look into, what does it see? What does it do? The world does what the world sees. If the world sees us in covenant faithfulness, it will be drawn to the same. That's what our marriage with God is intended to do. It's to be a great, big, massive reservoir of love that spills out and waters the church and waters the whole world and gives them a taste of what they could have in Jesus Christ. Because Christian marriage is a reflection of the gospel and Christian marriage is empowered by the gospel. So husbands, are we striving in the power of Jesus to love our wives like Christ loves the church? Singles, will you let this guide you? Men, where do we need to repent? What kind of action steps do we need to take? I mean, would you wrestle with those questions this week in the presence of the Lord? Would you be brave enough just to ask your wife, what do you need? What can I do? How can I meet your needs today? Maybe some of you, you hear about this kind of love and think, man, I need this kind of love. And ultimately, it only comes through from Jesus Christ. No person can love you in a way that's going to meet all your needs. And that's putting an impossible crushing burden on them that destroys relationships to try to look to a person for that kind of love. The love of Christ is what fills us. The love of Christ is the solid foundation we can build a life on. Jesus is the perfect man. You may have been mistreated, abused by men, but Jesus laid down his life for you. He was abused for you when they beat him and spat upon him and nailed him to an old rugged cross. He died for your sins. He rose from the dead to give you new life. And you can have life and love and peace and hope and joy if you'll admit that you're a sinner and admit that he's the only way to salvation and if you'll repent of your sins and place your faith and trust in him. And I just encourage you, if God's speaking to you about that, uh, to talk to me or somebody you know about that or as we pray in a moment, just to call on the name of the Lord and express your faith to him and ask him to come into your life and change you. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We'll close with, with prayer. But I hope that this is something where we just won't hear this and say, yeah, I went to church today. But that we'll understand the reality is day in and day out is where we live out Christianity. And if we're married, the first place that we live it out is with our spouse. And I, I don't care what we look like to other people. You may look like the most spiritual person in the world. But God knows how you're treating your spouse, and your spouse knows if it's real or not in you. So I just encourage us to go to the Lord. Ask for his forgiveness where we need to. Ask for his help. Some of you may need to ask him to come into your life. And then out of that, just ask him what to do. Ask him how you can better live this out, how you can apply this in your life. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your perfect, unconditional, sacrificial love. And Lord, for people who need to trust you and need to receive you and to receive that love, I pray that they would. 
For those of us who say that we know you, I pray that you'd help us to live connected to you day in and day out like a branch to the vine, that we would walk in your spirit and that you would love others through us. Lord, give us the grace to repent where we need to repent. Pray that you'd help us and change us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.